Well, for the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about sanctified sweat, uh, the role of the spiritual disciplines um, in our lives as Christians, and uh, it was really designed to be more of kind of a corporate um, uh, introduction and kind of a preview of our Wednesday night series that we're calling Holy Habits, Six Ways to Grow in Godliness, and and, uh, kind of supplement that, and uh, hopefully it's been helpful uh, just to think about uh, kind of the, the, the foundational issues related to this whole discussion of spiritual disciplines and, and how they fit in our sanctification as believers. And uh, I, I appreciate your input, your feedback uh, after the last couple of Sundays. It's been very encouraging, very helpful. Uh, it seems like this issue has struck a chord with a number of you, uh, and you've been very grateful to get some clarity on some things that you've been thinking through in your own personal life, you've been discussing with other people that you know and love, and so um, uh, maybe maybe it's uh, maybe it's confused some of you. <laughs> I know one person was very honest last week, and they they came up to me afterwards and said, "Ken, I'm so confused." And <laughs> I said, "So were you not aware of all this stuff going on on the internet and the blogosphere?" And they were like, "Nope, never heard of it." I said, "Forget about it. Don't even worry about it. Don't even go online." Okay, stay away from online, you know, just, just come to church, learn the word of God, read your Bible, right, keep your life, your Christian life simple, uh, it seems like this virtual church thing that's kind of started over the last few years where so many people are living their Christian lives online um, has probably led to, to um, probably hurt more than it's helped uh, in, in some ways, and so uh, I, I just appreciate the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ of this one individual, they were like, what were you talking about? I had no clue what you were talking about. But uh, we, we had a good talk this week as elders, and we were talking about how um, you know, much of what I said the last two weeks was doctrinal, uh, had a lot to do with theology, and uh, that's probably, you probably left uh, with your head spinning, your, your brain hurting a little bit. Um, and then last week was a little, not just doctrinal, but it was a little polemical, which means it was more of an uh, argumentative, debating, pointing out uh, maybe error or imbalance uh, in other uh, churches, other books, um, um, pastors and things like that. So what I wanted to do this morning is, is just to, to get to the practical, because it's important, you have to talk about doctrine, and, and I do think you need to be able to uh, teach truth and refute error. The, the Bible says that's one of the roles of a pastor and an elder. But at the end of the day, you know my passion is to be as practical as possible. And just to kind of take it from the doctrinal, polemical realm into the practical realm and says, okay, put, put some shoe leather on this for me. Well, what does this look like in my everyday life? Okay, I got the theology, I got the what's going on out there and, you know, in, in Christianity today and kind of some of the waves and movements and bandwagons that come through the church from time to time. But, but talk to me about sanctification in my life. Okay, like tomorrow, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to be struggling with sin in my life. Uh, I wish that weren't true, but the Bible says that's just the way it is. While we're here on this earth, we're going to be battling sin. And so help me with that. What what does that look like for me? And so there was a number of passages that I was uh, thinking through this week that I thought would be helpful to just talk about that that, uh, make sanctification very practical Uh, in our day-to-day lives, but the passage I landed on was Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, and there was a couple reasons why I landed on this passage, 
And, and please turn there, by the way, and, and, and I want to look at this with you this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 4. This is one of the passages, by the way, I, I did reference last week in, in, in just showing you uh, the many places in Scripture where it talks about uh, we need to strive, we need to exert effort, we need to work, we need to labor, we need to fight, we need to run. Uh, you, you can't ignore those passages in the Scriptures and just say, hey, all we need to do is sit around and, and preach the gospel to ourselves, and that will kind of get us to the next level uh, in our sanctification. There's more to it than just that. Um, and so this was one of the passages. And, the, and the, the, the phrase that brought me back to this passage this morning was in verse 4, where it says, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your, what does your Bible say? Striving against sin. Some of you may... Some of your Bibles may say struggle against sin. And, and I think that's just an important little phrase there. That, that, that pretty much summarizes sanctification. In a simple phrase, that's the Christian life. From, from the moment you got saved, right, to the day you go to be with Jesus in heaven, you will be striving against sin. Um. Wish I had some better news for you, <laughs> but, but that's just it. We are going to be striving against sin. But what I liked about this passage is, is it's not just all about striving. Uh, there is a lot of trying hard in this passage. There, there, there is a lot of that. But there's also a lot of trusting in this passage. And so I like the balance that uh, the writer of Hebrews kept as he was talking about sanctification here. Uh, and he, 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 it's, all, it's all about what we need to be doing as Christians, but smack dab in the middle of this exhortation to strive against sin, uh, kind of the core of this passage is Jesus. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. And so let me read the entire passage and kind of put it in our mind and then we'll talk about it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside, key word there, underline that, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Here we have one of uh, several places in God's word where living the Christian life is likened to running a race. Um, During the time uh, that the Bible was written, people had a fascination with sports. We mentioned that a couple of weeks ago and everyone was familiar with the Olympics, which were started back then, by the way, uh, the oldest um, sporting event in in, in the history of mankind. There was also a thing called the Isthmian Games and these were all held, uh, these, these events were held in these huge outdoor arenas um, uh, these amphitheaters, and uh, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the, the writers of Scripture used imagery from the, the world of sports to illustrate 
truths that the Spirit of God wanted to to communicate to those living in this ancient Greco-Roman culture. And so we know running a race was one of Paul's favorite analogies, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, he, he, probably the clearest passage where he talks about this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run, run a race, uh, uh, who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Galatians 5, 7 um, Kind of a sad reference here, he says this, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? He said, hey guys, you were running great, you were doing a great job, but then somebody jumped in your path, they tripped you up, they hindered you, they slowly, they got you off track, but the idea here again is the running aspect. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul said about himself that uh, in the day of Christ, he did not want to... Uh, have to say that he had run in vain or toiled in vain. And that's why I love how he ended his life, his last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. This was his, his epitaph, if you will. This was what, what you could have put on his tombstone. He said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course. In other words, I, I ran the race and I've kept the faith. And so again, this is a, a familiar analogy here to, to us as Christians, this, this running uh, uh, really as a description of the Christian life. I love the fact that on Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness, the new cover, they've got a guy running, right? That's The Pursuit of Holiness. That's why we chose this guy uh, running some intervals up the steps, right? Because uh, it's a good picture of, of the pursuit of holiness and, 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 and life as a Christian and our sanctification process that, that we're in part of. And so here the writer of Hebrews is just borrowing that same analogy in these, in these verses. Uh, and, and, and yet the main reason we have to understand why he's using this uh, is, is to encourage his readers who were disheartened, who were, who were disillusioned uh, and felt like giving up in the Christian race. You, you may have felt like that at times, giving up in, in your Christian life. Right? You've gotten so tired and discouraged and dealing with a difficult problem or a difficult person or, or some difficult sin that you just wanted to call it quits. You just wanted to throw in the towel. And you've thought to yourself at times or maybe even said out loud so someone could hear you say, I've had it. Enough is enough. I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I can't go on like this. I'm out of here. What's the use? I've tried everything, but nothing has changed. Some of you may be feeling that right now, sitting here this morning, feeling tired, weak from fighting the spiritual battles in your life. You're frustrated by a lack of progress that you're making as a Christian. You're discouraged. You're, you're defeated by your ongoing battle with stubborn, persistent sin in your life. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by just the, the painful trials and hardships that you've been experiencing in your life. You're, you're dealing with the sorrow in your heart this morning of broken expectations that things have not turned out anywhere close to what you were hoping for. And you're not sure how much longer you can hold up under the pressure. And, and, and frankly, you're just exhausted from trying so hard to change. And so you feel like giving up. Or maybe you already have. Maybe you're here, but you've quit. In your heart, you've quit. Well, listen, listen, God knew, God knew that there would be times when all of us would feel this way. And that's why throughout his word, he provided many encouragements to not grow weary 
and lose heart. I love that expression, and it's found several places in Scripture. Uh, probably my favorite is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, Paul says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so it's clear that the writer of Hebrews was addressing some people that he was concerned about who had either grown weary and lost heart or they were close to that. They were about to grow, they, they were growing weary and they were on the verge of losing heart. And so the question is, well, what do we do when we feel weary? And how do we keep from losing heart? I think that's the point of this passage. He's going to tell us what we do when we feel weary and when we think we're losing heart. And I think, first of all, if I could just say this and kind of make a general statement here, I think we need to come to grips with the fact that sanctification will never be quick and it will never be easy. Can Can we just... Just all admit that, right? I mean, we live in the instant culture, right? You want it now, put it in the microwave. Boom, bing, it's done, right? You need some money, ATM, boop, 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 comes right out. Like, we want everything quick and easy. It's all about quick and easy. I mean, our our society is making tons of money on providing quick and easy stuff for people that want everything quick and easy, right? Well, guess what? Sanctification will never fall into the category of quick and easy. And if anybody shows up and has some quick and easy way for you to be sanctified, don't believe them, okay? It's not true. And so I appreciate what Kevin DeYoung said in that book I referenced last week that I read on the way back from Singapore. Uh, It's called The Hole in Our Holiness. And he said this, holiness is plain hard work. And we're often lazy. We like our sins. And dying to them is painful. Almost everything is easier than growing in godliness. And so we try and fail, try and fail, and then give up. Many Christians have simply given up on sanctification because the process is difficult. And so I think with that as our background, going into this passage, I think what we see here is that the writer is acting like a spiritual coach, if you will, who, who provides us with here with, with some strategies to, to, to build and sustain our spiritual stamina in our ongoing struggle against sin. And, and I think the, the operative word here is stamina. Another word for stamina would be endurance, right? Notice the word endurance pops out three times in this passage. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, verse 1. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, what? Endured the cross. Verse 3, for consider him who is, what? Endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. So it's all about endurance. It's all about stamina. Kind of a staying power, if you will. Not growing weary. How do you not grow weary? How do you not lose heart? You've got to have staying power. You've got to have spiritual stamina in this sanctification process. Sanctification requires stamina. 
It requires staying power. And so he, he wants here to help us not grow weary, not to lose heart in our striving against sin. Because there's nothing in this world that can cause us to grow more weary and, and, and has the potential for us to lose heart than our sanctification. Okay? Survey says, what causes you to grow weary and lose heart? Number one answer, sanctification. Okay? Sanctification. And so what are these strategies? Well, he gives us four strategies here that I want you to look at with me. Four strategies to, to strengthen and sustain our spiritual stamina in our ongoing struggle against sin, which is, again, i.e. sanctification. First strategy, remember those who've gone before you. Remember those who've gone before you. Notice verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Now, one of the most entertaining things, at least for me, to watch in sports is how athletes will pump themselves up. They'll psych themselves up for the big game, right? You see them in the locker room. They're talking to themselves. They they got their headphones on. They got their beats on, and they're doing their thing, listening to the music, getting themselves. They're screaming at one another. They're they're making, you know, making funny noises. They're growling. They're doing their little dances. You know, they're smashing their helmets together. You know, they're doing all sorts of stuff, and it's really entertaining to watch, And so the first thing I think our our spiritual coach here is instructing us to do is to psych ourselves up for the race. Psych yourself up for sanctification. And he doesn't tell us here to to talk to ourselves or or listen to Christian music or beat the pews or smash our Bibles together as Christians. We come to, hey, all right, let's get excited about this, right? What he does here, he, he just encourages us to think back to all the other people who have run, won the race run the race before us and won. And that's what this word therefore is all about. The, these, these next four verses in chapter 12 are really the climax of everything he just got done saying in chapter 11. And we know chapter 11 is the, what's called the hall of faith where, where, where I guess we could say in, in, in light of this whole athletic analogy, it's kind of the roster of all the great men and women of the past who've already finished the race of faith. And, 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 and over and over he says, by faith, uh, Abel did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Noah did this. You know, by faith, Sarah did this. By faith, Jacob did this. By faith, Joseph did this. By faith, Moses did this. And by faith, by faith, by faith. And it's just really, um, it's, 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 it's telling us the stories kind of in capsule form, right? Little summaries of these Old Testament saints. He calls them a great cloud of witnesses. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, in other words, we have this huge crowd of saints from past generations, and I don't know about you, but the picture that I always used to have come to my mind when I read that passage growing up was, was, was this, this stadium you know, filled with all these Old Testament saints. And there's Abraham, and there's, 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 there's Noah, and, and there's, uh, you know, Joseph, and there's, uh, you know, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and Isaiah, and David, and they're all in the, in the and, and, you know, they got their little flags out, and they're, you know, they're cheering you on from the stands. As you run your race. Well, that sounds good. That's a great picture, right? But I don't think that's what the 
the picture that the writer was intending us to get in our minds. The word witness there, we have such a great cloud of witnesses, literally means not spectator, but example. These, these, the chapter 11 are not the spectators, right, who are now in the stands watching us run our race. They are the examples. As Warren Wiersbe said, he said, these people are not witnessing what we're doing. Rather, they are bearing witness to us that God can see us through. In other words, these, these people are not looking at us. We should be looking at them to gain encouragement and strength to keep on running ourselves. For example, I mean, just let's look at these, just, just a little snapshot here of chapter 11 and some of these people. Chapter 11, verse 32, and what more shall I say? Kind of just wrapping things up, he's saying here. Uh, For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection." In other words, they could have been released, but they said, no, we want to stay in prison and we're willing to die for the cause of Christ. Others experienced mockings and scourging, just also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went, out, uh, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, you're like, wah! You're like, whoa! That pumps you up. This is like a coach in the locker room just kind of saying, you remember the 1965, right? And, And he's just like pumping the guys up. And so when we read these, about these heroes of the faith, it should kind of have the same effect as if you were to walk through a, a hall of fame. Some of you have been to the baseball hall of fame in, in, in Cooperstown and, and, or maybe over in, in Hartford or Springfield, I should say, the, the basketball hall of fame or the football hall of fame, right? And you walk through that place and you're looking at all the, you know, the little snapshots of these great players of times past. And, and what should, I mean, what's the natural, you just kind of get inspired, especially if you're like, you want to be a, the next you know, big leaguer, right? You get inspired by these guys. And when you consider all the incredible things that these people here in Hebrews 11 experienced, all the things that they endured, all the things that God protected them from and how he provided for them and all the ways that God used them, I mean, we should be inspired by the realization that no matter how long or lonely the road may seem to us, As Chuck Swindoll said, it is a road beaten hard by the footsteps of saints, apostles, prophets, and martyrs. You're not the first one that has gone down this path, and you're not going to be the last one. I think the more accurate picture here of what the writer was saying when he says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, it, I think it's, it's, it's the, the, the picture that should come into our minds. It's not an athlete walking in and seeing all these Old Testament saints in the stands cheering for him. He should walk into the stadium and he looks up into the rafters and he sees the jerseys of, of, of those great players of the past. Or, or like if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, I'm making enemies now, right? If you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, right, you go into Dallas Stadium and they got what? 
the Ring of Honor. And it has all the names, Roger Staubach, Drew Pearson, Randy White, Emmett Smith, Tony Dorsett, right? And, and so a, a, a player should walk onto that field and look up and go, wow, I'm a Dallas Cowboy. And look at all these, all these other Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I'm part of that team. And when you look at, you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and you're like, I'm a Christian, man. I'm part of this team. And, and it should just well up your heart with emotion and, and inspiration. And if you disregard the, the chapter break, which wasn't there originally, right? Uh, you could just jump from chapter 11 to chapter 12. And, and, and another picture that the writer might be wanting us to think of is that of a relay race. Right, the, 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 co- the coach here wants to make the connection here to make sure the, the spiritual baton right, that was being carried before us gets, gets planted in our hands and then we run our race. It's our turn. And when we consider the example of the faithful Christians of the past, we should be inspired to carry on the tradition of, of enduring faith that they established right, in, 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 in chapter 11. I've got a painting in my office that my parents gave me years ago, and I love it. It's a picture of a, of a preacher behind a pulpit. He's got his Bible up here, you know, like this. And, 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 and flanking him on both sides are, are the great preachers of the past from Old Testament, New Testament times. And, and the name of the, 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 the title on the painting is The Legacy. And it has this verse, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and so I look at that and it inspires me and it also is a source of accountability because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to biff it. I don't want to be the guy that drops the baton, you know? I'm in a long line of guys that have been passing the baton down through the ages, right? It's in my hand now and I want to be faithful, right? To run my lap and then pass it on to the next guy. So in light of this, we're talking about strategies, right? To not grow weary, not lose heart. Um, to sustain us in our struggle against sin. So we're talking about remembering those who've gone before us. So let me give you a couple practical things you could do, okay? Things that I've tried to do over the years. Um, I've fallen off in, in times and got back on it in times that have been just very helpful, uh, really have motivated me in my Christian life. Number one is just read the Old Testament. Read the Old Testament and learn about all these Old Testament characters and how they, they lived their life to the glory of God. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. What's the opposite of losing heart? Having hope. And so what Paul said is, Hey, you want to have some hope? Look back at what was written before and you will gain perseverance and encouragement through the Old Testament Scriptures. So read the Old Testament. Number two, read biographies of the great Christian men and women of the past. Read biographies of the great Christian men and women of the past. That's why in the summers, uh, every once in a while we'll say, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's read a biography together as a church. Uh, just to kind of put this out there for, for us to kind of get in the habit of thinking, hey, I need to be reading a biography. Obviously, I'm always got to be reading my Bible, but man, I need to be, be uh, educating myself and, and learning about these, these Christians of the past, these great men and women of the past. 
And, and we've all read, right, some inspiring missionary uh, journal or story. Like, I'll never forget when I read David Brainerd's uh, uh, prayer journal. Rocked my world. I've never thought about prayer the same ever since then. Um, some of us have read Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. What a moving uh, read that was to talk about the, to learn about the exchange life that, that, that turning point in his life and ministry, and, and I'm sure you could give testimony of other books that you've read, testimonies you've read of other people, but uh, I, I mean, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British preacher, doctor-turned-preacher, said that apart from reading his Bible, what helped him grow the most in his spiritual walk was reading biogra- Christian biographies. And so I just encourage you to do that. You want to remember those who've gone before you, right? Read your Old Testament, and read biographies from time to time that will inspire you and motivate you that, hey, that, and basically you're going to school on, on, on some other Christian's sanctification is what you're doing. So that's the first strategy. Remember those who've gone before you. Secondly, remove anything that slows you down. Remove anything that slows you down. Verse one again, let us also lay aside Again, circle that, underline that, bracket that. We're going to talk about that a little, little bit later here because that is right there. There's no secrets to sanctification, but that is the essence of sanctification right there, the laying aside of, of every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Notice here that he's, the, the idea, again, the running analogy, this is somebody who, who's getting ready to run by removing anything that might slow them down or trip them up in the race. And so we've all seen the runner coming out of the, out of the dugout there, out of the, underneath the stadium. He comes out, he's got his sweatsuit on, he's got his towel on, he might even have some ankle weights on, but as soon as he gets up uh, to those, to those uh, what are those things called? Blocks, yeah, thank you. Uh, he's stripping all that stuff off, right? He's taking the towel off. He's taking off the, the sweatsuit. He's got some, you know, form-fitting, like, aerodynamic little suit on, right? Why? Because he wants to be as fast as possible, as light as possible. So, he, but notice the distinction here that, that the writer makes between encumbrances and sin. So, in other words, there are some things that encumber us in life, in our Christian life, that slow us down in the sanctification process that aren't necessarily sin. They're just excess weight that slows you down. I mean, it's not against the rules to carry a few extra pounds if you're a a sprinter, okay? I don't think it's against the rules to show up in your cowboy boots and your trench coat and, and get down on the blocks. I mean, they might allow you to do that, but if you do, you're an idiot because you're not gonna win, all right? They'll be like, okay, this guy's not serious about winning this race. He's more some comedy relief here, right? But he's not serious about winning the race because if he was, he wouldn't have his boots. He would have his boots off. He'd have his coat off, right? He'd have the lightest stuff possible. And so the point is that these encumbrances, I think, refer to things in our lives that aren't, again, sinful in and of themselves, but they hinder our progress towards spiritual growth and maturity. They would be maybe what you call the gray areas of the Christian life, right? Uh, maybe a, a relationship with the opposite sex that's, that's holding you back or continually causing you to stumble. Maybe it's a, a hobby that's not necessarily sinful in itself. It's a good hobby, but you know what? You spend an, an inordinate amount of time with that hobby and, and it's keeping you from doing things that are more important than that. Um, maybe it's some other habit. Maybe 
maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the movies that you're watching, the music that you're listening to. I remember as a young college student how God convicted me about the music I was listening to, and, and I don't know that it was necessarily inherently sinful, but I can tell you what, it was not helping me become more like Jesus. It was just secular music that everybody else was listening to in my generation, and so, uh, and, 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 and I can just tell you, it was, uh, I was the 80s rocker dude, okay? And, and they weren't talking a, a whole lot about Jesus, okay? A lot of good guitar riffs going on and some drums, and, and I'm still kind of partial to that, you know, metal kind of music, but, um, but they're, they're not talking a whole lot about Jesus. And I thought, well, what am I listening to this for? It's not helping me towards my goal of becoming more like Jesus, so it's got to go. Um, those are the kinds of things. Those are encumbrances, okay? So again, any serious athlete doesn't choose between what's good and bad. They make choices between what's good and what? Best. And so it might be okay for them to eat half a pecan pie, right? They can do that. Not necessarily a bad decision, but that isn't the best decision, right? If you're wanting to be competitive. 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So within the category of things that are lawful, in other words, are not sinful, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's profitable. It doesn't mean it's helpful. It doesn't mean it's edifying to you, building you up. In fact, it might be tearing you down. It might be slowing you down. And so he says, lay aside those encumbrances. But then he also says, lay aside what? The sin which so easily entangles us. Again, any sin that, that constantly tangles itself around our legs and, and causes us to stumble and fall, kind of trips us up, whether it's anger or laziness or materialism or gossip or, or lust or pride or, or anxiety, you name it. That's what he's talking about. And, 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 and notice he says, lay it aside. Lay it aside. Turn quickly back to Ephesians chapter 4 um, because I think this passage really... Um, couldn't make it any simpler. Could, couldn't make sanctification any simpler, okay? Ephesians chapter 4, a passage we're familiar with. In fact, I almost landed here this morning, but I thought I'd just reference it quickly here. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's talking about the sanctification of the believer. Verse 22, Ephesians four twenty-two. in reference to your former manner of life, the way you used to live, that you lay aside. There's that word, right? Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So there's this idea of laying aside something, right? And putting on something. Now this is what we call the put off put on model of sanctification and not to oversimplify sanctification but what it really always comes down to sanctification is all about breaking bad habits and 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 building new habits breaking habits and building habits that's the sanctification process you 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 and 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 so what do you do you you discern a sin in your life you discern a a sinful habit something that you know displeases the Lord, you discern, okay, this is an issue in my life that is not pleasing the Lord that needs to change. And so you, you discern that and then you begin to zero in on that and you study the scriptures about that and you begin to pray about that and then you begin to get accountability uh, about that and then you begin to restructure your life to change that, right? And ultimately you're doing all of this in dependence on the Spirit of God. And so it's, it's so saying, okay, I need to, okay, there's something I'm doing that I need to stop doing. 
And it's not enough to say, okay, I just need to stop doing that. What is the opposite virtue? This is the vice. What's the virtue, right? And so the virtue is, okay, so I'm being this way, and I need to stop being this way, and I need to start being this way. And, and I like how Paul makes it even more practical. He gives examples. Well, what does this laying aside and putting on look like practically? Well, notice some examples. Verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In other words, here, here we go. I'm going to give you an example. Stop lying. You, you've discerned that you are a liar, that you, 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 you fib, you, you, you stretch the truth, you exaggerate. Stop, stop being false. Stop being fake. Start speaking the truth. Okay? Verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Hey, listen, stop responding with habitual anger to conflict in your home with your spouse, with your kids, you're, you're angry all the time. Stop that. Quit it. And, and learn to humbly, or, or, or maybe how about this, channel that anger, hopefully it's righteous anger against the sin, channel that to resolve the conflict. Learn to, 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 to stop going to bed mad and, and learn to not let the sun go down on your anger. Learn to resolve those conflicts before you go to bed. Very practical. That's sanctification, one-on-one right there. You getting to the place where you realize it is sin to go to bed mad. At my spouse. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to work at resolving every conflict before we turn the lights out. That's sanctification, 101. Simple. Simply stated, hard to do, right? How about this one? Verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. So, hey, listen, you're stealing. You're ripping people off. Quit it. Stop it. And learn to work for what you get. And, and not just work, but work enough so that you can learn to share with others. So you go from stealing, right, to sharing. It's the exact opposite, right? How about this, verse 29? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You got a problem with your mouth? Yeah, I sin a lot with my mouth. I cuss a lot. I, a lot of vulgar stuff comes out of my mouth. I tear people down with my mouth. That's sinful. That's wrong. I need to stop letting these unwholesome things come out of my mouth. And, 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 and I need to start speaking only things that will build up and edify and be gracious to other people. Right? So you see the put off. You see the put on. And then lastly, notice verse 31 he kind of gives a grocery list here. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So basically, everything that he lists in verse 31 is what keeps us from being, keeps us from forgiving someone, right? Instead of forgiving them, we get what? We get bitter, we get angry, we want to hurt them, we slander them, and then we're just wishing bad things would happen to them. That's malice, right? So, hey, lay aside the bitterness, that's sin, that's wrong, the unforgiveness. So you're basically putting off unforgiveness and you're putting on forgiveness. You're learning how to forgive. 
And again, how are we doing this? You're, you're, you're discerning that's an issue in my life, that I, I tend to be a bitter person. I, I don't quickly forgive. I need to learn to be more forgiving, more tenderhearted, more kind. So I need to be studying scriptures about that. I need to be memorizing this passage. I need to be praying about this on a daily basis that the Lord help grow me and change me in this area. I need to make myself accountable to somebody, right, who can ask me how I'm doing with this forgiveness thing, right? This is, this is sanctification, 101. That's, what it, that's really what it means when he says in Hebrews 12, lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. John Stott said it this way, sanctification is this, we're to crucify the flesh and walk in the spirit. It is the ruthless rejection of the one in combination with the relentless pursuit of the other, which Scripture enjoins upon us as the secret of holiness. So there's this double duty that we have as Christians to put off and to put on. And so the second strategy here is to remove anything that slows you down. So remember those who've gone before you, remove anything that slows you down, and then thirdly, I love this, don't miss this one, Rivet your attention on who? Jesus Christ. Like if, if the passage ended there, if all there was was verse 1, right, we would maybe have grown weary and lost heart just listening to the sermon. Going, whoa, this is a lot I got to do here. But I love how the writer here inserts Jesus into this sanctification process, if you will. Um, and he says this, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. Maybe we'll just stop there. Listen, if, if, a, if a runner wants to win a race, I mean really win the race, he, he can't be waving to his family up in the stands, you know. He can't be, you know, checking out the runners next to him and how they're doing, looking behind him, saying, okay, where am I at in this race? He can't be like checking out his outfit, going, man, this is so cool. I look so good in this thing, you know. Uh, where, where is his eyes going to be? One place, and one place only. It's going to be on the finish line. I think the same principle applies to us as Christians. If we want to win the prize, we need to fix our eyes, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, which, by the way, is a present uh, tense word in, in the original language. So this is not some casual glance. Every once in a while, we, we, we look to Jesus, right? But we maintain a constant focus on Jesus. And so the idea here is, a, is really a looking away from everything else so that we can focus on the one most important thing. That's the idea here. And we know there's so many things in this world that distract us and, and draw our gaze away from Christ and, and, you know, whether it's people or jobs or money or stuff or entertainment, not necessarily bad things, right? But the only way that we will ever make it through this world full of distractions is to have this consuming fixation with Jesus Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, in other words, he's the pioneer who blazed the trail of faith that every, every one of us must follow. He not only started the race to begin with, he finished the race. And there's no better example of a faithful runner 
than Jesus Christ. I mean, he blows away all the Old Testament saints. Everybody in, 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 in Hebrews 11 doesn't, doesn't hold a candle to Jesus, right? I mean, it's good to remember all those Old Testament saints, but you better have your eyes fixed on one person and one person, and that's Jesus. Not Abraham, not David, not anybody. You focus on Jesus. He's the ultimate example of your faith, of, 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 of faith. And how did he demonstrate that faith? Notice he says, for the joy, for the joy of what? For the joy of glorifying God by his life, by defeating sin, death, and hell, by providing salvation for those who would turn from their sin and believe in him, he endured the cross. For the joy, he endured the cross. He went through the agony of crucifixion. He despised the shame of that. There was no more shameful, humiliating way to die than than to be crucified. And yet he considered all the pain, the shame, that he experienced at the cross as insignificant compared to the joy that he would experience when he crossed that finish line and was exalted by God to his right hand. And so he looked past the hurdle, if you will, of the cross to the joy of sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And so like Jesus, right, we need to endure for the joy set before us, what we have to look forward to. And so we need to learn to look past the the pain and the the hurdles of life to the reward that's waiting for us, uh, that glorious day when we cross that finish line, and guess who's going to be there to meet us? Jesus. He's already run the race. He's kind of waiting, kind of there for us to get there, right? And we cross that finish line, he's going to say what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Or in other words, good hustle and joy heaven. This is an important principle, I think. I, I, I missed this at one point in my life. Probably missed it more than I would like to admit it, but I know one point in particular in my early years in ministry, uh, I, I had a mentor that I looked up to with gra- a great deal of love and respect, and, and he was my Paul. I was his Timothy, and we had that kind of Paul-Timothy relationship, and this was the guy who I wanted to be like. I wanted to grow up and be like this guy. Extremely gifted in ministry, and um, one day I found out that he disqualified himself from the ministry. And i uh, tell you what, my spiritual life went into a, a, a nosedive. I mean, it, there, was a, there was a season where, where I, I, I didn't even want to pick up my Bible, let alone read it. I mean, I, like, I put my Bible over there and I would just walk by and look at it. I didn't want anything to do with the Bible. And it was, it was, it was hard to pray. My mind was just like mush. I'd try to pray and it was just like nothing. I couldn't even form prayers. And, and as I by God's grace, got back into the word slowly but surely and began to read the scriptures and begin to pray and, 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 and the Lord gave me a picture in my mind one, one, one day that here I was running along behind this guy and I was just trying to keep up with him and he was kind of, you know, I was just kind of drafting behind him and, and all of a sudden he stumbles and falls and I'm like, and I'm like this and I'm like, what do I do now? And I was lost. And I realized I had had my focus on this guy. And then that's when the picture came to my mind of 
way off on the horizon was this little tiny runner way, way down there. And I caught a glimpse of him, and I'm like, okay, I don't have this guy to follow, but I, I see that runner way down there. I'm gonna look at that guy. Well, guess who that little guy was? Jesus, right? Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. By the, one, by the way, what it's saying is he's not only the one who saved you, but he's also the one who, what? Sanctifies you the author and perfecter of your faith. And so here's a strategy for us. Rivet our attention on Jesus Christ. Rivet our attention on Jesus Christ. And then lastly and quickly, the final strategy here is just remain in the race no matter what. Remain in the race no matter what. Notice the end of verse 1. I didn't read this part earlier. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then verse 3. For consider him who has endured such as silly by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, you won't quit. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That word race in the original is agon. What do you think that stands for? Agony, agonize, this is the word for race. The word run there, and it says run the race, is a, is a, is a present active uh, verb again. So it doesn't mean just run once in a while. It means to keep on running. Just, just keep on running. Keep on moving, right? Don't stop, right? And he says run with endurance. Just bear up courageously, right, under over the long haul. And this is where we need to understand that the Christian life is not a 100-yard dash. It is a marathon. In fact, it's more than a marathon. It is an it is a Ironman triathlon on steroids, okay? That's, that's the Christian life. And there will be times when you feel like you are sucking wind and, you're, and, you're, and your lungs are on fire and your legs are like jello and you don't think you can take another step. And that's when you need to do what it says in verse 3. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Verse 4, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. In other words, think about it. Think about what Jesus went through. Uh, assess the grueling race that he had to r- run. And when we compare what we're going through and what we're battling with, uh, with what he had to go through, our problems don't seem so bad. Whatever opposition or persecution you face, it will never begin to compare with what, with what Jesus had to face. And there's been a, a few times in, in a counseling session where someone has been telling me all that they're going through and it, it is bad no no doubt it's bad and 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 i don't know if they feel this is very compassionate of me but but it, all they can think about is how bad their life is and i said well listen at least the guy or the gal has not taken you out in your front yard and crucified you i mean literally crucified you yeah you might be having arguments you may be on this she may be doing this he might be doing this but they haven't tried to put nails in your hands and nails in your feet right I think that's the idea here is, is, hey, look to Jesus. Consider. Consider what he went through. And when you feel exhausted, you feel like you want to quit, you can't take another step, consider what Jesus endured and that will give you a second wind so you don't collapse, right, before you reach the finish line. And if that's where 
preaching the gospel to yourself comes into this process, then preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself, right, of what Jesus did and what he endured for us. And that should motivate us, inspire us to want to do the same for him, right? He died that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who, right, died and rose Again, so the fourth strategy is remain in the race no matter what. No matter what happens in your life, don't ever, 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 ever quit. Keep running. And one day, you can collapse into the arms of Jesus who is waiting for you at the finish line. But until that day, you must draw daily strength and courage from him. You say, well, He's way off at the finish line. How is he going to help me right now? I'm like miles back. I got a long way to get to him. Well, I don't think it's any coincidence that the writer of Hebrews is the one who also told us that Jesus is a merciful and sympathetic high priest. And in light of that, he said this, Hebrews 4.16, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 2.18, for since he himself was tempted, tried, tested, and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted and tried and tested. Amen? And I don't know what you think, but my personal opinion is the best coaches are former players. Because they're just not on the sideline, you know, eating Twinkies and, and drinking Dr. Pepper, Right? They, they, still, they still got it, you know. They're passionate, and they know what it was like to be out on that field. They played the game, and so those are, to me, those are always the best coaches, the guys who used to play the game. Guess what? Jesus is our player coach, right? He was here. He did it. He knows what we're experiencing. He can relate. He can help, unlike anyone else. And he will come to our aid. He will come to our rescue, Anytime. He doesn't just stand there at the finish line, right? Don't get that picture. He's standing at the finish line. No, he will come running to us, right, when we call out to him to help us along the way to get there. Some of you may remember, some of you that are a little older, 1992 Summer Olympics, British runner Derek Redman sprinting around the track in the 400-meter race. As he came around the back stretch, he, he, he tore his hamstring. And he stopped running immediately and, and limped a few steps and then fell to the ground and grabbed his leg and rolled around in pain. And, and those that were close by heard him scream in agony. And being the Olympic athlete that he was, he forced himself back to his feet and he began to finish the race. And so he began hobbling around the track. And as he did that, something amazing happened. His father who was up in the stands, came running down the steps and, and, and pushed aside the security guards and ran out on the track and embraced his son. And he, he said to his son, he said, son, we're gonna finish this thing together. And so with his son's head buried in his shoulder and the crowd just going crazy, right, this loving, faithful father led his son across the finish line. Listen, beloved, that's us, Okay? We're, 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 we're running, right? Doing the best we can by the grace of God and all of a sudden we blow a hamstring. Whoa, right? We cry out for help and here comes our Heavenly Father, right? 
And he's right there with us. He's not like, hey, you know what? I'll see you at the finish line. Sorry about that hamstring. You're on your own. But I'm cheering for you, man. No. That was scandalous. You want to talk about scandalous grace, right? That was scandalous. Dad jumping out of the stands, running out onto the Olympic field, right? Raised a lot of eyebrows. That's what God's done for us, right? He does it for us whenever we need Him. And so remember that your Heavenly Father is at your side and you need to bury your faith in Him and He will help you finish the race. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word and just how it makes some of these more difficult concepts very practical for us. I, I pray that that was helpful today for all of us just to, to really think through what, is, what does sanctification look like practically in, in our everyday lives. And, and Lord, thank you for, for Jesus uh, who's at the center of this whole sanctification process. Uh, we need him desperately. Apart from him, we can do nothing, but we can do all things through him who strengthens us. And so, Lord, help us to, to keep our eyes fixed, fixed on him, riveted on him, knowing that ultimately he's the one who saved us and he's ultimately the one who will sanctify us. And, um, Lord, that we would, um, you would just grant us endurance and strength and stamina so that we will not grow weary and lose heart as we strive against sin until we die or until Jesus comes back to get us. We pray this in his name, amen.